0: Greetings, dear listener, and welcome to Natural 20-somethings, an audio program detailing and discussing the danger, depth, difficulties, diversions, dice, decadence, and drama of D&D. We're ever so pleased you're here. Hello everyone and welcome to Natural 20-somethings. I am Laurel. And I'm Olivia. Uh, Today we are going to talk about (laughs) the ever popular ranger, Uh, but more specifically the revised ranger. So rangers are something of a sticking point in 5e. They are very, very widely regarded as the worst class and consistently rank at the weak, like uh, in the weakest builds every single time. And in a not at all controversial, controversial opinion, I agree (laughs) with this assessment. Uh, Today, we are gonna talk about like the efforts that Wizards of the Coast have made to adjust the class through an unearthed Arcana release and potentially talk about like why they haven't made this release official. So here is some context from this is an introduction letter to the revised Ranger document. Any change as dramatic as rebuilding a character class requires planning, verification, and a clear, easy implementation. In this case, we felt that a few factors combined to push for a change. Many players wanted to play Rangers, but few were happy with the class, which held its place at the bottom of class power rankings by a significant margin. If this iteration of the Ranger or a future version of it grades high enough, our plan is to present it as a revised Ranger in a future D&D sourcebook. Overall, this approach captures our intent to fix what needs to be fixed when it's necessary to do so, but in a way that minimizes disruption and maximizes player satisfaction. So, uh... Olivia, why do you think <laughs> that players were so dissatisfied with the uh, original Ranger as written?
1: Um, several reasons. One being that I think one of the things that I think is most interesting about Ranger is that it serves a certain kind of D&D play very well and one that I don't think 5e encourages. Mm, Yeah. 5e seems to me to be very roleplay heavy and very like collaborative
0: you know um beginner friendly it's not nuts and bolts track your rations kind of gameplay
1: exactly so I think you know rangers are very useful like think about like an actual group of people wandering in the wilderness trying to like you know make the world a safer place. Rangers are so 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 useful. Like there's a reason the hobbits followed Aragorn. (laughs) But that kind of quote-unquote realistic gameplay isn't something that is really focused on 5e when it's really story focused. So I think Rangers their power comes from their utility but their utility is no longer useful.
0: No, I think you hit the nail on the head with that one. That is and I hang on. I will I have to state this before I get into the, like the deep deep dive of me and Rangers is that I have played both a revised Ranger and a regular Ranger as written. And they were the same character. <laughs> In the same campaign. So I think that's a pretty good litmus test for how these features work. And I genuinely think that you hit the nail on the head with that. And that it's like the original ranger's abilities are too specific to be useful in a wide variety of situations. Where it's like the original ranger, you had a favored terrain and you were an expert in that terrain. And like, God forbid, you picked the forest and you're running a desert campaign like uh oh none of your abilities are useful like that <laughs> it's it's agonizing and even the like the ranger i was playing we were in environments that ostensibly were my favorite terrain but i never really did anything <laughs> like i was not useful in combat or out of combat and it was very frustrating
1: yeah and they just don't have the power in combat that a lot of other martial classes do. And it's interesting. They're martial classes. They're, you know, advertised as martial classes. And I don't think they really deliver.
0: No, they don't. They absolutely do not. They certainly don't deliver on the damage and they don't deliver on the spell casting. Like, if you think about comparing a paladin to a ranger, which they are both half casters and both martial classes, like... a paladin will beat a ranger's ass into the dirt every single time because they do a lot of damage immediately straight out of the gate and their damage scales with the levels very well. Rangers do not scale at all. That was the other
1: thing I was gonna say you know you have these like natural explorer all these other things but there's no damage scaling at least for a monk you know their martial arts die gets better and better as you level up but rangers don't have anything like that there's nothing to like boost them at all and the fighting styles for rangers are very good. They're just not
0: tooled well to the class. No, I think the the one that is, is the archer, I think is what it's called. And I, I mean, I don't know what you're doing if you're playing a ranger and you don't have a longbow, <laughs> but far be it from me to judge. Like, but I imagine that most every person playing a ranger probably picks that fighting style because it's the one that serves you well.
1: Right. And for listeners out there, it adds plus two to your attack role. Right. Or is it damage?
0: No, it's attack roll. I wish it added to damage. Can you imagine?
1: (laughs) You just get a plus two weapon just for fun, just for being you.
0: I would murder so many people (laughs) for a plus two weapon for my ranger. I'm not even joking. That sounds like a thing your ranger would do.
1: (laughs) It is. (laughs) But yeah, no, absolutely. And I think... Some of the subclasses are very good, like especially the ones in Xanathar's Guide, like Gloomstalker and Horizon Walker really stand out to me as very, very strong subclasses. And even Monster Hunter is very good. And I think there is one spell that I love that is Ranger exclusive, and that is Hunter's Mark. That is a damn good spell.
0: Hunter's Mark is a good spell. I will also say that I think that... Gloomstalker and Horizon Walker specifically feel a little bit like they were aimed at addressing the weaknesses of the class as well. Like I think think that both of those classes address common player complaints and weaknesses of the ranger class in general. So here's a great uh, situation in which to introduce our next question, which is what does the revised ranger improve about the class?
1: So... Um, number one thing is that they change the favorite enemy to be more useful. So the original like rules as written 5e ranger, you have a very specific type of enemy. So like if you pick a humanoid, you have to pick like a goblin, you know, but this you can pick beast, fey, humanoid, monstrosity, or undead just out, off the bat. And that gets you a plus two to your damage rolls with those weapon attacks, which helps to scale. <laughs> as you go up and I think that's that's really useful and then they change the um explorer feature as well so that you're useful in all-terrain you're you're an ATV
0: <laughs> thank thank god <laughs> I clipped the mic <laughs>
1: but the other the other thing that it does specifically this you ignore difficult terrain and you get advantage on initiative so not only does it retool it so that you are not bound to one
0: biome but this is my ranger in his appropriate environment a la zoo tycoon 2
1: <laughs> i'm sorry what <laughs> did you not play zoo tycoon 2
0: I played Roller Coaster Tycoon. Okay, in Zoo Tycoon, when you put an animal in an enclosure, you can, like, check the zookeeper recommendations and it will tell you, like, what environment that animal is supposed to be in. Because if you put an animal in the wrong biome, they're very unhappy. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Anyway, so... <laughs>
1: Your ranger can be happy in all biomes. In any biome. Happy in any biome. But the other thing, too, it's specifically a combat utility. Advantage on initiative, ignoring difficult terrain, and you get advantage on anyone who has not gone yet. That is specifically why I multiclassed my monk with ranger, so that I could ignore difficult terrain and be even more of a menace.
0: (laughs) Such a menace.
1: But it also adds in the extra, like, your group cannot be, like, slowed by difficult terrain in large travel. And so, like, it it creates this nice, like, aura of utility, which I appreciate.
0: Aura of utility is, frankly, a great word for it. And I, I think the aura of utility might be exactly kind of, like, what I felt when I switched my ranger to be a revised ranger like there this this happened at a point in time in the campaign in which i play this character where like there was a lot of kind of changing and adjustments happening and we were all sort of in this like growing pain space of figuring out exactly what we wanted to do and how we wanted the table to work and like god bless the dm mm-hmm. <laughs> for allowing us to be as as you know problematic and troublesome as we have been <laughs> And allowing us to make changes and and like asking for our feedback, like I will endlessly appreciate that till I die. Yes. No. Absolutely.
1: Shout out to Erin, our DM for this campaign. She is absolutely <laughs> you, fabulous Aaron. and is just like, ugh, I love her.
0: I love her it's, so much. It's so wonderful. Me too. Um, what what happened for me in in changing to the revised ranger was the sense of like the character finally felt useful. And it was just a general overall. It was like a realization of everything that I had wanted him to be and wanted him to do that he just mechanically was not equipped to do. The revised ranger allowed me to do that. And and sort of like I don't want to be like there's no problems with it because obviously there are. But it 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 eased a lot of my like chafing that I had against the class, and and another problem that I was having was that like I play support spellcasters <laughs> primarily, and I didn't really want to play a ranger. But I found this character right that I just like fell in love with, and I was like I have to play this character, and it was a ranger. And so I was like I'll bite the bullet and do it. And so I was like two levels of unhappy playing a character class I didn't want to play, and also playing <laughs> the worst character class in D anD D. So the revised ranger for me to for it to feel as good to play as it does, I think speaks volumes to the effort that they have put into making this class better and making it rewarding for people who want to play Rangers.
1: Yes, no, exactly. And. I think the realization of the ranger potential, I think, is really what they were going for. And there are some things that I would change about it. Like they don't officially have an extra
0: attack at level five. Which is weird. It's it's like a subclass thing, which okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> Just no.
1: But like even like the higher level ones, like eighth level, you can dash as a bonus action. That that makes sense. The, the, this is the thing that I love about Revised Ranger. A lot of what they implemented makes sense. Like if you had an actual ranger, this all makes sense. Like they should be fast. They are dex based fighters usually, and they should be able to, you know, ignore difficult terrain and
0: walk fast. Like <laughs> I also love the addition of a climbing and a swimming speed. Yes, <laughs> that that has been like I just like I climb up that, and then the DM's like, God damn it.
1: <laughs> hey
0: Laurel, hey Laurel, do you know that at 14th level
1: you can hide as a bonus action? I do know that. (laughs) It's so cool.
0: I look forward to the
1: day. Ooh. At 20th level, you become an unparalleled hunter. Once on each of your turns, you can add your wisdom modifier to the attack roll or the damage roll of an attack you make. You can choose to use this feature before or after the roll, but before any of the effects of the roll are applied. So you just get to add your Wisdom mod. That's your capstone. That's pretty cool.
0: That is cool. One thing I will say that I think that rangers don't quite deliver on still is the damage scaling. Like, I... (laughs) And I... I will say that I don't know that it's necessarily like a ranger's job to be the damage dealer. It just happens to be my ranger's job. But I think that the trade-off then of like, you know, spellcasting or, you know, being a support or control caster doesn't really live up to the lack of damage scaling. Like they, a ranger is not a fighter or a barbarian by any means, but I don't think that they quite match. In terms of utility in either direction, either in damage scaling or in support. In combat, specifically, a ranger is a great tool to have (laughs) in everyday living. Yeah, exactly. Like, Pass Without
1: Trace is far and away one of the most useful spells in 5e.
0: (laughs) I agree. And I also I, I love that like specifically my character has a combo of a, a, t- some stacked options where it's like I will always find food and I will always find double the amount of food if there is food present for me to find in the environment. <laughs> like I can, all, I can feed the party no matter what and I love being able to rely on that.
1: In the right party makeup, this is a great class. As long as you have that understanding that like, hey, I'm not going to be the damage dealer. I will deal a lot of damage,
0: but not consistently. (laughs) Very inconsistently.
1: But anyway, so this kind of leads, I, I think it's time for our last question. So the biggest question here is why does this still remain unearthed arcana?
0: Why is this unimplemented. That is I mean that is a huge question for me. I think that obviously it comes down to what was said in the letter of like a a change to a game as drastic as issuing a brand not a brand new but a revised version of a character class in an official source book is not something to approach lightly. That said, this was also released in like 2016, so it has been 6 years. <laughs> Yeah. And this still hasn't there haven't been any changes to the rangers since then, outside of like the smaller things that were added in Tasha's. Um and I 6 years is more than enough time to collect data and also release changes to the class as you find them. I genuinely don't know what's going on behind closed doors (laughs) at Wizards of the Coast. But I, cause I, I agree, like, is this class perfect? No, but no class is without its problems. And this is such a significant improvement over the original Ranger that I don't know why you wouldn't just be like, get it out as soon as possible. I don't, I don't know why not. What do you think?
1: Yeah I think they tried to implement some of that in Tasha's and like Tasha's I pulled it up because I wanted to. Tasha's does introduce a lot of great features like it allows you to get expertise in one skill of your choosing which I think is great. Um, It increases your speed and you can get some temp HP when you get higher. Um Oh, I didn't know this. At 10th level, whenever you finish a short rest, you can reduce an exhaustion point by one for nice. a ranger, which is very cool. But the favored foe doesn't really scale the same way that the favored enemy and the revised ranger does. So I really don't know why they haven't implemented it other than Wizards of the Coast doesn't want to reprint all their players' handbooks,
0: <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, this is the thing, though, is that they say, like, in a future D&D sourcebook. So this seems like, you know, not they're not going to, they're going to be like, and here's the Ranger Mark 2. Like, it's not going to be, we're reprinting the player's handbook. It's going to be in a new source book. And maybe they just haven't had a source book releasing that, like, it makes sense to put a Ranger in. You know, like, if you look back at what they've released recently, a Ranger doesn't, like, fit <laughs> necessarily in any of that. So I get that. But also, I don't, I don't know. I don't know why they haven't done it. I think that undoubtedly they've gotten a lot of feedback on this through playtesting like the community is very good about playtesting on earth arcana and telling them what they do or don't like about it and then they are very good at making adjustments based on that so i i I would love to see the revised ranger canonized and fixed up even a little bit more it is funny though because
1: it feels like at least you know what i've seen most people use revised ranger
0: if you're, I will, if, I will tell you this right now, if you were listening to this podcast and you currently play a ranger and you have not looked at the revised ranger, please do so, <laughs> do yeah. yourself a favor and and make the upgrade because it is well worth it. Definitely, and it it's
1: very balanced. It's well, I think it's well-tooled. And specifically also, I highly recommend looking at revised ranger as a potential multi-class for you as well. I cannot emphasize that enough. It is life-changing.
0: If you are a dex-based fighter, like it's amazing, and Olivia is the queen of multi-classing, so you you can trust that opinion. You really can. It's quite horrific. Yeah, it's the bane of my existence. I love it, but I also hate it. Oh, it's funny. I I I'm trying to think of my like my final thoughts on revised ranger, and I think that that is. That while I do feel that Rangers still have a long way to go, the the main thing that Wizards of the Coast wanted to address in the revision was that the Ranger didn't need to be the most powerful class in d d Like, somebody was always going to rank at the top and that didn't have to be Rangers, but player satisfaction was what they were concerned about. And my player satisfaction skyrocketed switching to The Revised Ranger.
1: Yeah, it feels kind of like a Rotten Tomatoes thing where the audience score is <laughs> yeah. really high, but the critic score is still kind of low. But like, that doesn't matter but, because but passable, you're having fun. yeah. Right. I don't trust a movie where the critic score is higher than the audience score. I just don't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we can't all be Paddington 2, okay? Paddington 2. <laughs> <laughs> Revised yeah. ranger, Paddington 2. That's. Let's finish with that. That is our dream, for the ranger to become the Paddington 2 of D&D classes. Some magic we just find. Spellbinding.
1: So today on Spellbinding, we are going over a very popular spell. And for some people, it's for very good reason. It is Moonbeam.
0: You can't see, but I'm gesturing very elegantly. There was elegantly. a very grand gesture, yes.
1: I just... I- I feel like I have to talk like this when I talk about Moonbeam because it's just so elevated,
0: right? It, it is elevated and it is also very, like, the most hippie spell of all time. So you could go either direction with it, really. It's versatile. She has the range.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's us how you really feel. Okay. <laughs> so uh, here's the official language of the spell. A silvery beam of pale light shines down in a 5-foot radius, 40-foot-high cylinder centered on a point within range. Until the spell ends, dim light fills the cylinder. When a creature enters the spell's area for the first time on a turn, or starts its turn there, it is engulfed in ghostly flames that cause searing pain, and it must make a constitution saving throw. It takes 2d10 radiant damage on a failed save, or half as much on a successful one. A shape changer makes its saving throw with disadvantage. If it fails, it also instantly reverts to its original form and can't assume a different form until it leaves the spell's light. On each of your turns, after you cast the spell, you can use an action to move the beam 60 feet in any direction. Also, this is a level 2 spell. Yes. (laughs) Do note the low level. It's druid, right? Is it any other class other than like the specific subclasses?
0: No, it is it is a druid exclusive thing
1: aside from subclasses. It's really funny. I reading this I'm like, oh, it's dim light? For me, it's just this like big old like spotlight. That's how I envision moonbeam. <laughs> <being>. What was <laughs> moonbeam? Like, well, the,
0: moon like <laughs> I <laughs> I don't disagree with you. It does sound a lot brighter than uh, it actually is. I think it's the word radiant and searing pain. It just sounds very intense. Right. It it sounds like you should be burning and so
1: the light should be bright. Uh, I really need to stop thinking about H2O Just at Water. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. You're welcome, listeners. (laughs) I am ungrateful. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so I know you love the spell. So what aspects for
0: you make it as useful as it is? I- so many- so many things. I- I love a moonbeam. I love a moonbeam so much. It is the kind of spell that you as a druid can, like, throw down and then ignore for the rest of the- Like, you're just like, okay, I'm gonna keep doing this damage. Like, you don't have to consciously think about it as much as you might another type of spell. It is a concentration spell that is very easy to maintain, it seems like, and very easy to deal a lot of damage uh, in a very short amount of time. It is, like- The quintessential moon druid spell, I think, (laughs) which maybe this is why they call it circle of the moon (laughs) is because you're just going to cast moonbeam and then turn into a giant octopus and like wreck ship. Like that's, that's what everybody does. Uh, The octopus might not be universal. (laughs) You know, you're not wrong. My druid turning into a giant octopus is a very campaign specific choice. But yes, I, I agree. And it's very easy to upcast,
1: too. Yes. You you add 1d10 per every spell level, right? That's the way it
0: upcasts? hmm I'll double check, but I'm pretty sure that's right.
1: Yeah. So actually, upcasting is great. Like, even if you do it as a third level spell, that's good damage consistently on every turn. So the next question is, why is it so iconic? <laughs> I
0: don't, I don't know. It's one of those spells that it's like, every druid should have this, every druid uses it. Every campaign in which I have had a druid, like played a druid or had a druid in the party, moonbeam is out and everybody's like, yeah, moonbeam. Like there's just something about when a moonbeam lands, you know that shit just got real. <laughs> like it's like, It's like the equivalent of a mic drop spell where you can rely on moonbeam, you can count on moonbeam and moonbeam can and could and does. Change the course of a battle.
1: It's interesting to hear you say that because we have a friend who
0: hates Moonbeam
1: (laughs) actively. they don't like it for a couple specific reasons. So I'm gonna backtrack a little bit and say, I think it's iconic because it's Druid exclusive. So it feels really special. (laughs) Like you're just like, ooh, Moonbeam. Not everyone gets this, (laughs) you know? Um, And I agree, if you're a Circle of the Moon Druid, it's a great concentration spell to just up and then go. And it doesn't have the, it's not as high level as Flaming Sphere and it doesn't have the potential damage that Flaming Sphere does. However, I think we should move on to the last question on what, if anything, we would change about it. And I have a couple specific feedback things for Wizards of the Coast people who are definitely listening to our, like, six-person <laughs> podcast. So, listen who up, you definitely y'all. want our feedback on one of the most iconic D&D spells of all time. Yeah, Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hear what I have to say and be happy about it because I'm gifting you things.
0: <laughs> They're going to be as ungrateful as I was about the H2O reference. I've I was put on this earth, to be a menace, so. <laughs> anyway, I think the one thing
1: that um, our friend pointed out that I was like, oh, yeah, that's annoying, is that it takes an action to move it. And so I am very used to my little cleric butt being able to cast spiritual weapon and forget about it and then move it on a bonus action. And, like, it can move 60 feet, which is great, but it also that takes a whole action. And so that feels a little weird and also I the action economy gets a little weird for me with Moonbeam. No,
0: I I agree with that assessment completely. And I honestly feel like part of the reason I love Moonbeam so much is that I we used it wrong (laughs) Ah. (laughs) for a good portion of our usage of moonbeam. Like the, I did not know that it was an action and not a bonus action to move until literally maybe like the fourth druid that I had seen use it. And then someone was like, I don't, I don't know about that. And so then we checked the language of the spell and we all agreed that it was bullshit, but those were the rules. So (laughs) we had to follow them. And that is something that I would actively change about the spell. Like I, I think that Moving it should be a bonus action. And if that means that I, I pay for that change in action economy in distance that I can move it or some of the damage, I would pay that price. Like That's exactly what I was going to suggest. So um, I think we could borrow from Spiritual Weapon
1: here where, you know, it's a bonus action to cast and has pretty decent range when you cast it, but you can only move it 20 feet on that bonus action.
0: Yeah, I would take that trade off in a heartbeat.
1: I think that's far more useful. And I think it's interesting because it has this whole like shape changer aspect to it that I think is very underutilized like I think that's something that people forget about it and I will say it has been used to great advantage story-wise in a campaign that I'm in we have a changeling in our campaign and moonbeam was used against her so that precipitated a whole bunch of really interesting character moments that aspect of moonbeam was really cool to me but I think we can do more
0: Yeah, I I think that's another, that's like a campaign specific usage that is, you know, if you've got a shit ton of werewolves, you know, great. (laughs) But if you're not facing shape changers, then it's not particularly useful. So I do do think, though, that the damage that it does makes up for, like, I wouldn't want to trade damage for more utility. Like, I I think that the, although, I mean, knocking a werewolf out of a werewolf form is is kind of essential. (laughs) That is pretty
1: good. I also, I also wouldn't mind the reverse if you... Like, if it commits to being a damage spell, you know. It is it is kind of a saver suck. Not in the true form. Like, you do take half damage, but half of 2d10 feels like nothing.
0: Yeah. I mean, it does chip away over time. Like, I, I have seen enemies get trapped in a corner where they can't leave. And they're just getting moonbeamed at the beginning of every single one of their turns. Even if they make that save, it still sucks. <laughs> yeah. No. That's pretty...
1: That, that is pretty good. So, um, number one thing we change is action economy. For sure. And I think everything else, everything else can
0: stay. I love a moonbeam, even with its shitty action economy.
1: Roll for backstory. Random character generator.
0: Random character generator time. This is its second theme song. (laughs) I guess it doesn't have a theme song, it just has... It's Creature Corner that has a song, yeah.
1: Yeah. Alrighty. You ready for me to roll them? Roll the dice! 30. 30. A fairy! Ooh! Something new! I'm thrilled! Okay, okay. So that was the race. Now we are on class? Class. Okay. 60. A wizard! (laughs) A wizard fairy! Okay, okay. And then background? 13. A charlatan. Oh, oh that fits a fairy very well. It does.
0: Um I am not as familiar with the fairy race. Do you know any of the features? Let me look at them. Oh you can increase any ability scores you want. You are fae technically which is cool. You are small but you have a walking speed of 30 feet and you get some cantrips and spells racially and you can fly. That's
1: very cool. A fairy wizard charlatan. I fully am envisioning a fairy that got so good at lying to people that they accidentally invented spells. (laughs) (laughs) Because you know like the the, the fae traditionally are bound by like honesty and like they can't tell lies and they are bound by contracts. So I just imagine this fairy just made it their entire life goal to swindle people without them realizing and then in some bizarre circumlocution they
0: cast like charm person you know what I mean (laughs) it's it's a situation in which their magic maybe isn't even necessarily learned magic all of the wizard traditionally but it's like I my will is so strong that it causes me not to lie and instead of lying I am forcibly casting a spell (laughs) I that's that gets into some sorcerer territory I think but that is so funny I love that
1: cuz there is there's an unearthed arcana invention wizard which i think could be very fun for this like
0: just ooh, like ooh yeah. i love that like a, a some some sort of magical tinkering happening here right exactly where they're just like
1: how can i use the oh i have an idea what if some verbal components of these spells were lies in some sort. Like, you say, like, Eye of Newt or whatever, and you're not actually using the Eye of Newt. It's like a, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like a botanical thing, but they couldn't say that because they needed to take everything literally, so they had to reinvent all these spells in order to use them.
0: Ooh, I like that. That's fun. They've got their own special grimoire of, like, Spells that cannot lie. <laughs> right, exactly. What sort of like charlatany what what cons were they pulling as a charlatan?
1: Um, I wanna say like classic swindles. Like not even Robin Hood, they are full on thieves. <laughs> like like the
0: highwayman. I'm, I'm the highwayman. <laughs> <man. laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> highwayman specifically <laughs> like a highwayman <laughs> oh one of my favorite running gags on monty python is is a, a highwayman who does who steals so much from the rich that he impoverishes them and makes the poor wealthy and <laughs> has to steal stuff back from the poor it's great
1: <laughs> that's what they do yeah absolutely
0: <gasps> yes look Le- can we can this be a boy fairy and can we name it eric idol <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> or just idol just idol i-d-l-e yes <laughs> yeah we're good we did it
1: we did it folks
0: now I kind of want to play this I do too hang on I feel like we have to decide what they look like let's 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 roll for a fair a a special characteristic roll a d8 Olivia okay five you have a small spectral horn on your forehead like a little unicorn horn (laughs) oh my god I want it to be hot pink yes absolutely that that will add to the aesthetic here well we're establishing an aesthetic can their skin look like cotton candy The skin looks like cotton candy? Like like the the color of cotton candy? Yeah. Like the texture of cotton candy? Like, you know,
1: those like blue and pink cotton candy swirl things? Yes. I want it to look like that.
0: Like something you would find at Claire's. This fairy looks like something you would like Claire's vomited on the fairy. Oh, my God. Yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I now I'm just imagining these like horrible statement earrings.
0: (laughs) Like
1: just God awful. Yes.
0: What are they shaped like?
1: Oh my god! Are they other
0: unicorn horns? Yes, absolutely. Fuck yeah! <laughs> now, now we need to make this fairy a home to play play them in. <laughs> I know. Can they have scrunchies all up their arms? Absolutely, they can. Like an e-girl. Yes, Come on, let's do it. <laughs> and they do their makeup like an e-girl makeup with the little with the little nose, like you're just a little bit sick. <laughs> I love Air- I love Idol, our our wonderful Highwayman, Charlatan, Wizard, a work of art. Amazing, amazing.
1: Signature spell, Zone of Truth.
0: (laughs) Yes. All right, Olivia, what do you have for
1: inspiration today? I'm bringing this up to the class, and it definitely happened right away, and we didn't take a two-minute pause so that I could think of inspiration. Bring your rock to the front of the class. Show it to everyone. This is my rock. His name is Rocco. Elmo was very mad at him. (laughs) So my inspiration this week—it's from the campaign, as usual, where we play siblings. There were some really great moments where we—we we did a lot of great role play that session. But I am going to set that aside right now and just fully embrace my combat hoe. Like I just—we—we we were able to level beyond level twenty. Our DM. Kind, benevolent, and generous. We literally (laughs) became gods in this session, which was astounding. And one of the things that she had us do was create these sort of signature godly abilities. And I was very inspired by how much time we just sat down and took to really map this out and go, okay, what is going to match with what I want this character to do and what they are able to do? So I think I was very inspired by the ability that Ares. Laurel's character chose. Oh, wait, I thought thank that was amazing. You. <laughs> and I also am very inspired by the fact that I can do four attacks and take somebody out in one round. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Athena is a beast. This in the same session that my character's wife had a baby. So, <laughs> Very different lives they lead.
1: I also had a baby. It was killing somebody <laughs> in cold blood. <laughs> in a single turn it was beautiful come on the miracle of birth and death (laughs) listen our characters are gods of life and death it's (laughs) you're not symbolic
0: it is symbolic it was a you know what you're right (laughs) that was symbolic yes i am correct as always
1: Thank you dear listener for lending your ears may the stories you tell be grand and humble in equal measure may the characters you meet be brimming with adventure and may the chances you take lead to some natural 20s i'm the
0: highway man